open to unyielded, thriving no matter what. This podcast is for those who are committed to thriving no matter where they are on that journey. And I say journey because thriving is not about achievement. It is not a destination. It's about engagement. It's about being energized by our life. My name is Bobby Kaler, and I'm your host. And I'm so excited to be on this journey with you. I mentioned that it's a journey, and you might find yourself anywhere along that path. You may be starting out, you may be mid-career, or you may be considering your next career. You might be an entrepreneur or a salesperson, or you may be that person who just feels like something's calling to you, and it's time for a change. My mission is to provide stories that inspire us so that when challenges show up, we will choose to persist. I will also provide practical skills, perspectives, and ideas that will help us create the habits of thriving and flourishing. Because at the end of the day, it is all about providing hope, knowledge, and assurance that we can all be more fulfilled and successful if we choose. Let's dive in to today's episode. Today's guest is a mother, wife, entrepreneur, and coach, where she utilizes the Clifton Strengths Finder assessment to help her clients uncover their natural talents. She is also a breast cancer survivor. When she got the cancer diagnosis, she turned to her natural strengths to help her through that journey. Her name is Tracy McCausland, and I cannot wait for you to meet her. So Tracy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bobby. I am so happy to have you. I know we have a mutual connection, Sarah, who who connected us, and that was very gracious. And gosh, it's been, I think it was in September when we did our pre-interview. And then, of course, things happened for you, and they happened in, you know, the fires out here, so things were kind of crazy. But you have a very interesting story, and I thought, you know, maybe we'd get started by you sharing that with us a little bit. We both know Sarah Corkery, who's, I think, in your, the podcast with her, you said, I think she may have more hours in the day than most people, (laughs) right? It certainly seems that way, doesn't it? Yes. She is just fireball, gets things done, you know, sees a need and and gets after it. So I love it. Yeah. Yes. I love the interview you did with Sarah and appreciate her connecting us. So a little bit about my story in the reason I met Sarah, who's a a two-time cancer survivor, was through my own, you know, cancer journey. Three years ago, I was diagnosed with stage two breast cancer. And it's been, you know, a little over three years now since walking through that. And she was, you know, truly a tremendous mentor along the way. And we've become great friends through it. And then just a little bit about me and the type of work that I do. I'm a a trainer and a coach and, and help businesses, you know, develop their leaders and build stronger teams and help people really maximize their potential and their performance by playing to their strengths. Yeah, I love that. And now, so it was three years ago, right? When you Mm -hmm. had the cancer diagnosis and now you have, is it two small boys? I do. Yes. How old were they at the time? So Jay is 12. So he was nine and Casey was four. Wow. Yeah. So just getting through that, that, that had to be, it had to be hard. It had to be challenging. It was. I mean, that was certainly, I think, the hardest part of it, of being, you know, a youngish mother. <laughs> I was diagnosed at 39. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, breast cancer is very common. One in eight women will receive a breast cancer diagnosis in their lifetimes, but only 5% are under the age of 40. Wow. So I was, you know, in the kind of smaller odds there. And that was terrifying, honestly, you know, having little kids and, and seeing, you know, statistics about survival rates and reoccurrence rates and, you know, the high probability that breast cancer comes back for many women. It was really scary. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, there's still still a few moments along the way now where I get a bit scared about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I literally cannot imagine 
And I know that I want to talk about kind of a couple paths because I love okay. the work you do with with follow your strength. And I think I shared this when we spoke before, but when I went to Case Western for grad school, that it had that whole strengths based focus. So I love that. Mm-hmm. I also, though, the other thing I wanted to talk about was you said something when we spoke before, and you said something like, you know, right after deciding on seeking treatment and where to seek treatment, you started thinking about, well, what if fighting can't, because everyone kept telling you, you got to fight it, you got to fight it, you got to fight it. And you said, well, what if fighting cancer doesn't really resonate for me? You know, what if that doesn't play to your strengths? So could you speak to that a little bit? It just takes me back like to that moment. I mean, I can feel myself there Wow. where, you know, I felt really good from a medical standpoint. I felt good about the plan. I felt good about the medical team, but then there was I would say just like an uneasy feeling that swept over me. You know, I think it had to do, Bobby, with a lot of the images that we're bombarded with around cancer are, I would say, pretty aggressive in their messaging. Yeah. You know, so that first week after getting my diagnosis, I didn't want to fight. And that Ah. might sound strange to people, but again, you know, I was a young mom. I was scared. I was in shock. I was nervous. I was freaking out about losing my hair and my (laughs) eyebrows and eyelashes. Right. You know, so, so then all of a sudden to go, well, you've got to kick it, whatever. And, you know, put your boxing gloves on. There's a lot of pictures of boxing and it just, it felt really artificial to me. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when, tying into the work that I do. I mean, one of our core values that follow, follow your strengths is authenticity, right? And keep it, That's keep right. it real, right? And just, you know, be who you are and be true to yourself. And I guess it just, it felt like beating cancer and I'm putting air quotes around that, but beat cancer to me just felt like too big of a to-do on top of my to-do list of being a mom and working and just everyday life things that were all going through. So, and I distinctly remember it was one of my very first Google searches. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they say like, don't get on Google after, right when you're diagnosed with cancer. So I was pretty careful about that and really just looking at good resources from the medical professionals. But once we knew where we were going to get treatment and what that plan was going to look like, I mean, one of my first Google searches was what if fighting cancer doesn't resonate with me? And I found some things out there that it it actually kind of let me exhale to say, yeah, I mean, you don't have to walk through this like some warrior or, you know, Brene Brown's like one of my favorite authors and I love her podcast. And she talks a lot about armoring up Mm. and, I just was like, I can't walk through this with all this armor around me. I've, I've got to, in a sense, you know, practice what I preach and, and try to do it my own way. Yeah. I don't know. For some reason, this has become a really top of mind for me. How much we, we are bombarded by the shoulds. We should right. do this. We should do that. You know, you should be a warrior. And I think that if, if you're saying, well, you know, that doesn't resonate for me, that doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean that you're not going to fight it. It's just how do you find your way, you know, Tracy's way through it. So what were some of the things that you found? Yeah, it's funny you say shooting. I think of one of my mentors, Gail Moat. She's a tremendous trainer here in Iowa in the Midwest region. And she says, you know, don't should all over other people. So I, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I might make that into a sign. I like to make wood signs. That might become a sign that's going up in my studio. I love it. So, you know, the work that I do is, is very heavily driven by Gallup, the Gallup organization. And, you know, to date, over 24 million people have taken this assessment that they have called the Clifton Strengths Assessment and mm-hmm. formerly known as Strengths Finder. A lot of people still refer to it as that. And, you know, I just was sitting here in my office about a week or so into my diagnosis. And I looked, you know, right behind me here, I've got a bookshelf and a bunch of books and there's books about selling with your strengths and leading with your strengths and parenting mm-hmm. with your strengths and teaching with your strengths. And there's even, you know, one for living 
you know, uh, living with your strengths through a faith-based lens. And I just stared at these books and I was kind of like, okay, you know, where's the book for this? I mean, yep. if we're managing and leading and parenting and teaching, you know, through a strengths-based framework or philosophy, then in that moment, I decided, well, that's it. That's how I'll do it. You know, yeah. if I don't want to armor up, I don't want to be this warrior because that's going to take more energy out of me than it will filling my bucket, so to speak, then why not do it my own way? As you said, yeah. Uh, one of my coaches, Maggie and great friends of mine, I called her after my first chemo treatment and said, I think I'm going to write a book. <laughs> and she just goes into like, work and organizing mode. And she's like, okay, talk to me. I'm taking notes, you know? Oh my and goodness. She said, I love this idea. And I think it's a coping mechanism. <laughs> hmm. So I look back on that and like, you know, I think she was probably right just because of, you know, so much shock and overwhelm yep. of, you know, just this cancer diagnosis really coming out of the blue. In a way, it kind of gave me something fun to work on and something to, you know, preoccupy my mind and my thoughts. And, and, you know, as she's saying a coping mechanism, I think there was part of me too, that wanted to somehow not be written off or, mm. you know, like I'm not going anywhere. I don't know. Give me something to do, I guess. Yeah. Good distraction. But I, but I also think, I mean, think about how many people that can help. I think it can, you know, it's a work in progress currently. And, the more stories that I'm gathering from cancer survivors, you know, the more hope I'm getting that this, this project could turn into something where people, rather than kind of what I'm doing now is talking to people that I've met along the way that, you know, maybe had cancer a few years ago or five years, 10 years ago. And then I'm really just mining for the gold, if you will. Yeah you know, asking a lot of questions. Tell me about your diagnosis. Tell me about your journey. What did you do uniquely? Just, you know, like, like what you do, Bobby, asking good coaching questions. And I'm, I'm hearing just these different paths, like, mm -hmm. you know, not everybody does it the same. And I think that's one thing we've got the stories, but wouldn't it be better if you could proactively say, you know, because I naturally think, feel, and behave this way, maybe I could take this walk yeah. through cancer or, you know, because it's more natural for me to be empathetic and aware of others' emotions, maybe I will try this. That's really what the book project is about, of saying, giving people like tactical, tangible, actionable things to do that are more in line with their strengths than, you know, like in my case, not wanting to armor up and be super competitive against, you know, cancer. Right. Yeah. Well, Tracy, then, so a couple things come to mind there. Mm -hmm. One is how, you know, because I think about, I mean, your, your challenge, your adversity, I mean, it was cancer and everything, but I think people go through all kinds of different challenges and adversity. How, what are some of the ways that people can learn more? I mean, obviously they could take the strength assessments, yep. but what are some ways that they can tap into those types of, I guess, resources? In a perfect world and people that do the type of work that I do, they, they'll say, you know, in a perfect world, everyone would have their top five strengths tattooed on their forehead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd you know? be great. Then I know, it, and I mean, and that's just, you know, a little psychology and perfect world. When you meet somebody, you would know how they tick. Yeah. Right. But that's not the case and it takes some time. So for sure, I mean, just going to gallup.com slash Clifton Strengths, that's how you would go to take the assessment. You could go and take the assessment and understand a bit more about how you naturally think, feel, and behave and ways to put that towards your success, whatever it is that you're trying to do. Without the assessment, you certainly can do some, you know, digging on your own. The two words that I think of are just pay attention. <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. If you think about different jobs that you've had over your lifetime, what were some tasks that you did along the way that really energized you? Mm -hmm. Right. That 
you know, often I'll say like filled your bucket, but really, you know, those times where maybe you were pretty good at it said, I want to keep getting better. You know, maybe those times where you lost track of time, like they talk about flow, you know, times where other people are like, Hey, you're, you've got potential there. You know, and it's really fun, I think, for people to look back even decades as, you know, doing career coaching with people of saying, when you were a kid, what did people say you should be? It doesn't mean go be that now, but what are the clues? And Gallup's got a great, a free resource that's out there online if you just Google five clues to talent, you know, but just Hmm. really paying attention, you know, to ourselves and others. And I think you can do a lot in terms of, gathering that information and then, you know, doing some strength spotting and calling those out along the way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It reminds me when I was at Case, Marcus Buckingham came and talked to our class and it was, I mean, we had a class of like 40 people and to have Marcus in the room and like get to ask him questions. It was amazing. And that, oh my gosh, that was like 2008. So this has stuck with me now for 12 years. And Uh one of the things that he said is really pay attention to what gives you energy and what drains the energy out of you. You know, right. Because we all have those things because I think people think a strength is just something that I'm good at. And he's like, a st- it's not a strength if it doesn't also give you energy. And that resonated for me because like years ago, and people who know me now would laugh because I hate technology, mm-hmm. but I used to do computer training for a law firm, for a good size law firm in Chicago. Was okay. I good at it? Yes. Did it give me energy? No. I was good good at it. So then it was parsing it like, well, what part do I like? What part gives me energy and what part drains me? You know, so I I think when you said, you know, pay attention, I think that's huge. And I'm a fan of journaling and it sounds like maybe the reflection exercises, it sounds like that's kind of what you're maybe recommending a little bit there too. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, bring up Marcus Buckingham. That's pretty cool that for people not aware, you know, a global influencer and and certainly a, a top name in, in oh. the area of human performance and certainly in strengths and spent 17 years at the Gallup organization before starting his own company, the Marcus Buckingham Company. And this is, I mean, no, you know, typical trainer slash consultant. I mean, he was on Oprah Winfrey, right? Yeah. Bobby. I mean, so, to have yeah. him with you and 40 others, that's oh, pretty cool. It was amazing. Yeah. I mean, because he's been on what? The Today Show, he's been on Good Morning. I mean, he's, he's, he's so passionate about it. I just loved it. Yes. The energy piece is, is critical. And I know I think an exercise he does is just making a, you know, kind of like a T of two columns where he calls it love it, loathe it. So just saying throughout mm-hmm. the week, you know, pay attention to what are you doing when you're loving that experience and, you know, loathing it. What are those things that are zapping your energy, as you say? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's all in the spirit of performance. So there are a lot of tools there are a lot of assessments out there, you know, a lot of ways that people can, you know, understand themselves and others better. But my bias towards strengths and, you know, Gallup's work around the tool and the resources, it's it's really rooted in performance. You know, it's not mm-hmm. just, oh, that's, oh, that's interesting about you, right? <laughs> yeah. But it's saying, okay, if we know this, then how can you use it, you know, to drive performance, to drive outcomes, to drive success? And so just being, you know, pretty well versed in the framework, in the strengths-based philosophy and the positive psychology roots and origin of it, that's what I guess made me reflect and say, well, why would I not at least right. try? Right. right. Why would I not just experiment with this a little bit? Because, you know, not to geek out too much on the strengths lingo, but there are <laughs> 30 Remember who you're talking to. I love this. <laughs> I know you. I know we, we could probably go for a long time on it, but there are 34 different strengths in this specific assessment. And, you know, if I could draft pick the strengths that I would want fighting a cancer battle, you know, I would say adaptability would be a great strength, Mm -hmm. Um, taking each day as it comes competition, because I, I think, you know, you are certainly fighting a powerful foe. Positivity is a great strength. You know, like you said, you like to journal, maybe you're, you know, naturally positive person. 
analytical is a great strength. It's my husband's number one strength. He's very logical, level-headed, calm, and then futuristic. You know, if you know you're going to go through hell fighting cancer, people that have futuristic talents can naturally see themselves down the road. So I kind of jotted down this list because if I could have picked, those might have been some that would have been at the top of my list. Right. But the reality of it is in my whole list of one through 34, those strengths don't start until like 14. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, so it again, it just kind of goes back to, could I still walk through cancer and could I do it on my own terms? Could I do it authentically? Absolutely. It just makes a whole lot more sense to do it based on who I am and how I naturally think, feel and behave rather than, you know, trying to be something that I'm not. Yeah. Well, I think that when we spoke before, you said someone like Sarah, right? Yeah. She was almost, she almost, she might've had the perfect team of strengths, if you will. And I'm putting team in air, air quotes, right? Because yep. she's competitive. She's, you know, so I'm curious, Tracy, what would you mind sharing? What are your top strengths? Oh, sure. So my top five individualization is the first one. And it's really being fascinated by people. I have a master's in counseling psychology. So that makes sense in undergrad and HR. Yeah. My second is harmony, which Mm. for me truly is like, let's, you know, keep the peace. Can we all get along, work together? You know, teamwork makes the dream work. I tell the boys. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Um, When I'm giving them chores, right? (laughs) Uh, My third is one called maximizer, which is really about seeing people's strengths and being on a journey towards excellence and continuing to grow and develop and in my work, you know, inspiring others to do the same. My fourth is called learner, which really is just about digging in and wanting to learn more. And, and that one fuels me a lot in the work that I do. And then my, my fifth is called belief by Gallup. And for me, it's about purpose. It's maybe the fuel to my fire of, you know, things that I decide to do, you know, have to matter. And for me, the work that I do, I have to feel like it's making a difference and somehow helping others. So, yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. So, so that leads me to, and you mm-hmm. can tell me it's none of my business if you want to, I'm totally fine with that because <laughs> <laughs> my husband's always like, you're so nosy. I'm like, no, I'm just curious. Yeah, what? Right. Do you, and I, cause I think curious sounds so much better. Um, it does. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have an example of like how you used one of those strengths when you were fighting cancer? Oh yeah, for sure. You know, and I'll share one of mine and then, I mean, I've got dozens from other survivors that are really pretty cool. If you're curious about those, but yeah, you know, one for me, just being somebody who is naturally curious and inquisitive and My parents were both high school teachers, so education was always important in our household. You know, in the Gallup world, they call it learner as a strength. It's very common, about 29 to 30% of people have that in their top five when they take the assessment. So for me, you know, you're faced with cancer. You've got the World Wide Web of information, right? Which could be scary. Yeah, the first (laughs) thing that they say is, do not get on Google. So I I knew that I would want to dig in. I would want information. I would want resources, but I knew that I needed to get them from credible, mm-hmm. you know, people and places. So I think actually just reaching out to Sarah, I mean, I, I got in touch with her on the drive home from the hospital the day that I was diagnosed, wow. you know? So that was a way of channeling that strength of saying, okay, who do I most want to and need to talk to right now? Sarah, you know, other tangible things that I did. I loved my oncologist, Dr. Fadke at UIHC in Iowa City. She was great at giving me referrals. You know, about six weeks or so into the journey, I was feeling a little bit down. I had started learning more about the disease and the high probability that it returns in many people with breast cancer. And she referred me to a psychologist and he was a a therapist, you know, specifically versed in working with cancer patients. Wow. So that was awesome. I loved it. And, you know, went and met with, met with him a couple of times. I also saw a holistic doctor Mm because I was very curious about the 
I still am about the food connection to cancer, you yeah. know, dietitian or the diet side. I also did see a dietitian. And then after going through it, I've taken a mindfulness course here locally. Hmm. You know, so I kind of attribute just naturally being inquisitive and wanting to learn and grow more to some of the things that I've done along the way from, like I said, referrals to additional trainings, you know, right early on, I took a, a class on, there was like a makeup class locally that was put on of, you know, just the steps of what it was going to be like losing your hair and how to, wow. you know, handle some differences, but just things like that. And I, and I did it deliberately and intentionally because I knew, you know, based on how our strengths operate that by digging in that would energize me and, you know, help fill my gas tank, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it would be like energize. And also for me, I must have a high learner, you know, Mm -hmm. because it also, it energizes me, but it gives me when I'm doing something like that, like a sense of peace and calm. Yeah. At the same time. And it's just interesting, like, how can it give me energy and also make me feel calm at the same time? Well, right. Because it's just so natural to you. Right. And there there are sometimes with people who are pretty in tune with who they are. And I'm sure you are, Bobby, given the work that you do is, you know, they're all strengths are almost second nature Mm -hmm. where, you know, sometimes people go, oh, yeah, I mean, I guess I am like that or or even say, isn't everybody? So, you know, sometimes part of the process is realizing, no, you know, that you are very, you know, unique and, and the way that we show up can be extremely different from the next person. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and I know you said you had another, a couple more examples, maybe just one more. And then I want to shift gears to some of the work that you're doing in, in your business too. So did you have another like example from one of your, the stories that you've been collecting? I've got a couple actually that I think, I think sometimes with this and, you know, with the strengths assessment or other assessments as well, it feels almost philosophical to people. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, okay, that's great. But now how are we going to really, you know, use this at work or how is this team going to really come together and get along better? So I think, you know, that's, that's really my goal in, in moving forward with this work is making it tangible and actionable and, and practical, right? Everyone's got enough to do besides <laughs> doing a total 360. So, you know, just a couple stories. I mean, we'll start with Sarah Corkery, who you, yeah. you know, had on as a guest earlier. Sarah's, one of her strengths is called competition. And the very first time I had lunch with her, I just looked at her you know, for people that haven't heard her podcast with you, I mean, she's an, you know, marketing executive at a regional credit union. She's a two-time cancer survivor. She and another local mom raised a million dollars, a million (laughs) to build an inclusive playground here in the Cedar Valley, which is incredible. She sees a need, she gets it done. So anyway, I looked at her, we're having lunch and I'm like, how did you do all this? Like, how did you beat cancer and continue to, you know, kick butt on the side? And I just said, like, how much vacation time did you use along the way? And she got dead serious and looked me straight in the eye. And she said, Tracy, cancer is not getting any of my PTO. (laughs) When she told me that I was like, oh my, that's so Sarah. It is. I loved it. Yeah. And she kind of goes on to joke, like, I don't care what they have to do. They can, you know, wheel me <laughs> out of there. I'm not the only vacation time I'm using is when I'm getting that chemo drip. But oh. anyway, so then, you know, understanding her strength, she also has one called Achiever, which is the most mm. commonly found strength in the global database by Gallup. And that's really someone that's task driven. They get it done. And, you know, just hearing your podcast with her, you can hear all of the things that she gets done and just doesn't miss a beat. And then another friend, Kristen, who I've met through some advocacy work, she's a over 10 year survivor of breast cancer and has been doing advocacy work since very early on. And part of that is due to the fact that she lost a girlfriend due to breast cancer. They were diagnosed relatively the same time. And, you know, it's, it's horrifying, (laughs) horrifying to, 
to lose somebody to this. And, and Kristen then has channeled that loss and that grief into her work for 10 years for the National Breast Cancer Coalition. And one of her strengths is called belief, which I share with her. And, and a quote that she said to me was, you have to be political about it if you want to save lives. Mm. Like, wow. I mean, that's, that's pretty powerful. And then just a couple yeah. more for an Angie that I was introduced with to early on, you know, people connect you to other cancer yeah. survivors and she has a strength called consistency. And so for her, it was very important when she would go to her treatments, she went the same day. So she always went on Thursday. And it was important for her to understand what the cycles looked like, like what's going to happen one day after what will happen three days after. She also has a strength called relator. Yeah. Which is about social depth. It's really those people that have tight circles and, you know, not so much into small talk, but really building genuine, authentic and in-depth relationships with others. And so for her, Angie had the same four girlfriends go with her for all of her chemo treatments. No kidding. You know, yeah. So just some things like that. She also has responsibility as a strength and, you know, people were giving her money and she didn't feel like she didn't feel good about taking it. It kind of goes back to the beginning how you were saying we have all these shoulds. That's and, right. Yeah. Responsibility might be the strength of should, you know, but what should I do? What's my word? My word is my bond. And and anyway, she took the money that people donated to her and her family and she turned around and gave it to one of her friend's children who had leukemia. Oh, geez. You know, so just some really powerful ways that people have showed up, but maybe without even knowing it, right? Yeah. They were playing to their strengths without knowing it. And so as I move forward with this work, I want to put together, you know, something, a book, a journal, some prompts to say, but what if you knew, right? Yeah. What if you could actually use what you know about yourself to your strategic advantage as you are battling, for many of us, the toughest crisis and dilemma, you know, of your life? Oh, man. I think, Tracy, I think that'd be so powerful, you know, to really, that way, because you said it earlier, sometimes we're so in tune with our strengths or I don't know if we're in tune with them. Maybe they're just so, they're such a part of who we are that we're not even thinking about them, but to really understand them to the point where you could strategically employ them, <laughs> you know? Exactly. I, oh my goodness. Yeah, so, exactly. And I think you can, because I did. That's right. <laughs> I don't want that to sound arrogant. That's no. not what I meant, but it was really almost like a trial and error. <laughs> yeah. You know, of saying, okay, survival mode, baby. As my husband said, he said, let's see if this drum you've been beating, you know, can help <laughs> you in the fight for your life. So, and it did, you yeah. know, going back to performance is the point, right? Cause I think sometimes people think that the strength stuff, it's feel good. And it's like, no, right. that's one of the things Marcus Buckingham said when he came to our class, he's like, performance is the point. This is not woo woo. This is not to feel good. It is to help people perform and be at their best. I'm really curious about something. Cause you said, you, you know, you got connected to all these people. I would think that would be a powerful piece of going through something like this is how much you not facing it alone. It certainly was for me. Part of that does speak to my strengths and I love people. I love yeah. being with people. I love analyzing people, right? Like <laughs> you said, we're very curious. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I'm pretty empathetic mm -hmm. individual. And I think given, you know, my age of diagnosis, it was, I mean, it certainly was a shock and it was a shock to my family and close friends and, you know, just being in tune with people and emotions. I could feel people wanting to help, right? Yeah. That's oftentimes what people say to you, like, let us know how we can help. And it was a win-win because I knew, hey, I mean, sure, I can give them a few things that would help me and it would probably help them feel like they're doing something too, you know? I think people want to feel that when they see someone or when there's, when we had the fires out here, I mean, they were just, they were devastating and we were evacuated for a couple of weeks. And yeah. I had, I had someone 
she called me and she's like, okay, I can't just sit here and not do anything. I'm, she was, I'm going to the store and I'm buying you some groceries. So tell me where to bring them and tell me what you like. Yeah. And I, and I really thought, and it was a takeaway from Sarah's cause she's like, Hey, let or no, it was actually Sarah's mother-in-law, Judy, who mm-hmm. said, when people want to help you, let them, because you're also helping them. And I remembered that from Judy's interview. And I thought, mm-hmm. this isn't just about accepting the groceries. This is about allowing this person to also feel good, you yeah. know, like they're doing something. So how did all these connections happen? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, Sarah introduced me to people. And actually, the first day talking with her, you know, that night, the first day of my diagnosis, I didn't know Sarah. I just knew of her. Oh, wow. And yeah, so we got connected that night. And sometimes I cry when I bring this up just because it was the hardest conversation, you know, the entire time since I've had cancer. Now her and I laugh about it because she certainly didn't mince her words, you know, <laughs> <Sarah Like>. doesn't. <laughs> I was like, can you please tell me chemo's not as bad as I think it's going to be? <laughs> nope. And she just went right for it. But no, we laugh about that. She had just a little group on Facebook Messenger. So oh, she nice. added me to this group of women and I put some questions in there that night. And by the time I woke up the next morning, like all, I think there were seven at that time, everyone had responded to me like in oh less my than 24 hours, which was, it really showed kind of that power of good in mm-hmm. people. People are, I think, innately good and and want to do, want to do right by one another. And, and that group that Sarah had assembled, you know, certainly did that for me. It was, I was blown away, honestly, the next day to be like, I don't even know these women at all. And just overnight, I mean, either late at night or early the next morning, they all responded to me with feedback. And, you know, sadly, that group has grown just given the prevalence of breast cancer. But that was a start. There's a a local support group that I go to quarterly. The Beyond Pink team has a cancer support group. And then I've joined with Sarah and, and others, Kristen, I mentioned, to do advocacy work too. So, you know, it's kind of up to, again, as I think, you know, just given the way that I think about people, everyone's unique and there's, you know, you can march to the beat of your own drum, right? Different strokes for different folks, as they say, but, you know, there's a lot of ways that you can continue to be involved Mm -hmm. with cancer and helping others. And I think it is different for everybody. You know, I, I kind of thought with some things like advocacy work, you know, you're dipping your toe in the water at first. And then before you know it, you're like all in and, you know, on the hill on lobby day and, you know, and talking with representatives from our state and working with the teams of senators and things like that, you know, it can happen pretty quickly. And like I said, for everybody, it's their own journey and and how much they want to be involved with it, you know, along the way. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. So. This has been really good. And I'm, I, I hope that the book com- continues to come along because I think it's, I remember you said something like, where's the book on this? And I, I think, yeah, you're the person to write it, right? So what about, because I know we don't have a ton of time left, but mm-hmm. what about the other work that you're doing with StrengthsFinders? Mm-hmm. I know you work with organizations, mm-hmm. right? And I think you had said, you said something last time when we talked about people with a, I think you called it a quarter life crisis. Yeah. <laughs> tell me, just tell me a little bit about that. Cause I'm so intrigued. I thought I was unique at the time and then now realize so many people go through this, but I majored in HR, as I said, minored in sociology and walked around campus for four years at the university of Iowa saying, dang, I should have majored in psychology. Oh no. <laughs> anyway. I mean, it's just kind of always been, you know, what's fascinated me. And so I wanted to move to Kansas City after college, and my first job was at a great company with great people. I just happened to be in Jim Collins' lingo, you know, in the wrong seat on the bus. I was an IT consultant, which was, you know, just not a great fit for me. Yeah. And then after one year, moved to outside sales, which was actually worse because then I was alone all the time. But anyway, not to get into that too much. I spent three years really at a great company and great people, but just never being kind of in that right seat. And I don't, I don't blame anyone. I mean, that was my choice to take the job and it was really tough. You know, it Mm -hmm. was just, it was really tough 
knowing that I had more to give, that I really Mm. wanted to make a difference and do good work, I just kind of had to carve out that path on my own and figure out what it looked like. Yeah. You know, and I think I grew up in a small town of about 5,000 people. And so I think I was just under this impression, you know, my parents were both high school teachers. So it's like, you go to college for X and then you go do that job. Yeah. You know, and my parents both, their first job was Iowa Falls High School and they retired there 30 plus years later. So, you know, it was, for me, it was probably a time of shame and frustration and sadness and, you know, disappointment in myself and beating myself Uh. up of like, how come everyone else can say, you know, I want to be a firefighter, then they go be a firefighter. I want to be a nurse, like my sister. I want to be a nurse and she's a nurse. I'm like, why do I have to be so weird? Like, I can't just pick a job. But anyway, I mean, the world of work is just so dynamic and complex. And you might be in your sweet spot, but in the wrong city or sweet spot, but have a terrible manager, right? Or your sweet spot, but the wrong organization. So there's all these things, right? I think sometimes people are looking for the magic pill or the magic bullet for most of us, just not there, but you got to keep, keep paying attention, right. To what makes you tick and what, what gets you fired up in your strike zone. But anyway, yeah, that's a little bit of how I got there. I mean, then started reading online about people being career coaches and I thought career coach, that sounds kind of cool. And my friends laugh. They're like, what, how are you going to do that? You don't know what the hell you want to do. You're going to tell other people. But anyway, I mean, just really kind of dug into that and went back to grad school. And I said, I don't know the job title, but I want to help people be happier at work. Nice. Yeah. And that was just as simple as it was. I said, I'm taking a step back so I can someday take a step forward. I want to help people be happier at work because I know what it's like to be miserable at work. And everything else in my life was great. So, you know, the more I read and the more I dug in, a lot of the signs pointed back towards Gallup mm-hmm. and their tremendous amount of research around employee engagement. And it's not just a nice to have, like you said earlier, Bobby, it's not just a nice to have for people to get along at work. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, you can also make more money, retain your employees longer, Right. you know, have less absenteeism, you know, all kinds of positive data and and statistics that correlate with taking better care of each other, understanding how people tick, where their strengths go to, and talk about it, right? You know, I think in the world of org development too, sometimes people are looking for, you know, the, the, the new book or the new trainer, the new topic. And it's like, you know, how, how has this been done 50 years ago by the best coaches and the best athletes? Well, you pay attention, right? <laughs> yeah. Talk it to keeps people. coming back to that, right? You work hard, you dig in, you make adjustments, you shift gears. So yeah, I mean, anyway, I get kind of fired up about it, but yeah, the work that I do today is really going out and, and helping people, you know, uncover more about their own strengths, dialing it in for performance, taking it up a level, take it to the next notch. And then I love working with leaders, whether that's, you know, C-suites and executive teams or leadership development programs. 2020, you know, a blessing that's come out of this year for me is working at with a leadership program at Collins Aerospace, which is a really large organization. And I've had the honor of working with a cohort of about 280 individuals and we'll be uh, rejoining and working with them in 2021 too. But just, you know, these are rock stars, all stars, you know, just the credentials and the patents and the engineering work they're doing. I'm like, I'm surprised they let me in the room with them, you know, but (laughs) just to say, and you can always get better. Right. Yeah. The, you know, the best executives are still working to get better. And that's why I think over 90% of Fortune 500s are using the Clifton Strengths assessment, you know, to help grow their leaders. Yeah. And sometimes it's just like, you know, those fine tweaks, you know, it doesn't have to be revolutionary sometimes. Totally. Totally. Wow. Those little, those little reminders. Right? Yeah. You know what I love about your story too, Tracy, is when you said it wasn't anything that was wrong with the company that you're working with. I mean, it wasn't like they were bad. It was just not a good fit, which made it 
I guess, bad for you. Because I think that people struggle with that a lot because you can look at it and say, wow, it's a good company. It's good people. It's, you know, I'm lucky to have a job. And yet if it's not feeding you, maybe, you know, doing a little bit of work to, yeah. to figure out what could, what could be feeding you instead. You know what I mean? Exactly. I totally know what, what you mean. And I think sometimes yeah, there's a lot that could go into that of why people stay, why they continue on a path. Growing up, for many of us, it was kind of the loyalty thing. Oh, yeah. You know, being, I think, though, getting really in the weeds, though, on what you have to give. Mm. I mean, I think the world, you know, clearly we're living through a global pandemic and we've seen you know, things that people need. And we've seen awesome human beings step up and deliver and meet those needs. Yeah. Right. And, you know, we've also been living through a time of really kind of having a front row of analyzing and examining leaders. Mm -hmm. And not just at a, you know, a national or a global world level, but you know, even in people's communities and in their organizations and in their families, mm -hmm. you know, to see how people respond to adversity. And I would say this is a crisis. One thing that we hear so much, we've been hearing since the pandemic is now more than ever, right? You know, yeah. I kind of put air quotes around it, but now more than ever. But man, people need good leaders. Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you think about that relationship at work and the manager or your go-to, that person that you are turning to, to help you through this, a great book by Gallup is called Strengths-Based Leadership. And, you know, through, of course, everything they do is research-based. It's not just someone sitting at a desk thinking of, oh, yeah. you know, this thinking a good of idea. writing. Yeah, this is a good <laughs> idea. You know, it's, they say, based off thousands of inputs of asking people you know, who's the best leader you've worked for and what were the traits or characteristics they possessed. And these four things emerged and they said that we need leaders who build trust. Oh yeah. Right. We need leaders that show compassion. Hmm. We need leaders who provide stability and we need leaders who give us hope. Wow. Right. And if mm -hmm. you think about that, you know, trust, compassion, stability, and hope. And as a leader, whatever level of a leader you are, like put a mirror up to yourself now going through this pandemic and saying, am I doing this? You know, for the people who need me, for the people who are turning to me, are they getting this from me? You know, if you're going to be leading a meeting, run your agenda through that filter. You know, am yeah. I going to deliver these four things, you know, to the people who need it the most? If you're writing a big press release or a, you know, an email. I mean, I think it's such a great filter to say, this is what we need. And how are you hitting that mark or not? Yeah. Right. So, and, and it applies in so many ways, like parents. Yeah. I mean, teachers it, all over, you know, it's so funny too, when, when I was, I, cause I wrote down those four characteristics. Mm -hmm. There's a book that I love, can't remember the exact name of it, but it analyzed FDR's his speeches and fireside chats. Oh, okay. It was really cool because it was looking at why was it so effective? Because think about it, he led people through the Great Depression, World War II. I mean, it was a, a terrible time, but he delivered really on these four things. What was really interesting, well, to me anyway, because of course I can get geeky on this stuff, but the compassion piece, he talked about it because before he was diagnosed with polio, he was not a compassionate human being. And that, okay. that was by his own words. And mm -hmm. he said, but by going through that experience and experiencing life in the wheelchair and having gone through this illness, that developed his compassion. And it was, a, I can't remember who the writer was, but they said, without that compassion, he would not have been that voice of calm and hope and we can get through this together. And so it's just kind of fascinating to see how this stuff, how it plays out. But of course, I love history too. That's my other thing. So I'm always looking like, oh, how can, oh yeah, how can this apply here? How can it apply there? So anyway, cool. 
Well, there's a strength for that called context. <laughs> oh, no. oh, that's oh, that's really spot on for me because I love yeah. it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's really cool. I love that. All right. So Tracy, if someone wants to learn more about you or you know, if they want to get in touch or learn more about what you're doing, what's the best way for that? My website is followyourstrengths.com. My email is tracy at followstrengths.com. And I would love to talk with more cancer survivors to hear, you know, about how they approach the journey or people that are currently battling cancer that are willing to take the assessment and, you know, and work with me, talk with me. I would, you know, I would love that opportunity. I've been recently talking, you know, with more healthcare providers. So this fall had a chance Mm. to talk with some oncology nurses. Wow. And I mean, I think, you know, everyone's tired right now in the pandemic, but if you think about our healthcare providers, wow. You know, so anyone looking for speakers, you know, obviously I'm doing nearly my entire business on Zoom right now virtually. You know, I'd love to partner on that front too. I've got some great stories of my oncologist and how I saw her use her strengths and my surgeon and how Dr. Sugg used her strengths and, you know, and just kind of how the whole medical team came together and how I could actually see, you know, see their gifts and see their talents in motion. And that's what patients are looking for from medical professionals. Yeah. Wow. Made me kind of wonder there, does it, the partnership between patient and healthcare provider, you know, in, in how mm-hmm. much does it matter if their strengths are aligned? You know, I don't think your tumors care a whole lot. Probably not. <laughs> right. But like the and trust you have in them. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something I'm, I've, it's probably why it's state this project is taking me so long because I mean, I'm almost poking, I have been poking my own holes in it, you know, the entire time, but and that's my quick disclaimer is, you know, what I'm coming up with, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a medical that's professional. Right. I'm very clear that, you know, I could have not been playing to my strengths and my tumors <laughs> probably still would have responded the same way, right? <laughs> it's really more of, I'd say, uh, like an approach, a philosophy, a mindset. And part of this project, I'm getting into, you know, learning more about mindset. I'm not an expert in it, but I, I certainly think that that impacts like we talked about performance, right? And that yeah. that does impact outcomes. So yeah, I think there's a lot to have feeling confident and powerful from the relationship with your providers. And we felt incredible with the team at UIHC. So yeah. it was a big part of my <clears throat> story at least. Yeah. Because I could hear it when you were talking about the oncologist and the surgeon and it was like, it just sounded like he had such trust, like with them. Yes. Which is cool. That's, I think it's huge. Yeah. All right. So Tracy, this has been great. Is there any final parting words that you have? The first time that I was interviewed for this, it was 2018. So a couple of years ago, but the podcaster or whatever, is that what you would call yourself? Bobby, the podcaster, the host, Mm -hmm. you know, he said, yeah, since most of what I do is going into organizations and, you know, corporate type work, he goes, yeah, I mean, you could almost tell people, hey, your worst day at work is, you know, still better than the best day of chemo. But he kind of gave us a mic drop moment there. But Oh, my um, goodness. And when I'm working with managers, I joke because the very first time I started talking about and sharing my story in class, like as a trainer in front of the room, I go, I didn't have slides. I didn't have this you know, I've got now like a polished video and all this, but I just lifted my wig up and showed them that I was bald. And in this manufacturing environment, these guys about had a heart attack. They looked at me and their mouths, you know, were wide open. And I said, so guys, if I can beat cancer with my strengths, I'm pretty sure you can manage people with yours. (laughs) And, you know, like I said, we, then all of our eyes got really big and we just kind of laughed and, you know, had a good laugh at it. But I wow. think I do use humor, you know, to get through some of this, but I just think whatever it is that you're doing and whatever, you know, wherever you're spending your precious time, we know that's our most precious resource. 
I'm just, I guess you could say a student of the work or a, you know, a disciple of it, of, you know, spreading the word around strengths. I didn't invent it at all, (laughs) but there's a lot of concrete evidence and research saying this is your quickest way to success and this is your best pathway to get there. So, so why not, you know, would do what comes natural to you and enjoy better outcomes from it. Right. Truly what, what could be better than that? Right. So, well, Tracy, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's not an, it's not an easy journey. You've got to have, you know, grit and resiliency and determination and the stick to itiveness, you know, to, to keep diving in and, and developing, but that's with everything. And I just saw a press conference with LeBron James had a hat on. It said, there is no magic pill, you know? <laughs> right. um, so sometimes, you know, people and the work that I do, they, they might have a very challenging team member or, you know, some workplace dynamics that they need help with. And then, you know, give me a call. How does an hour sound or an hour and a half? I'm like, well, come on, you know, nothing's going to happen in that much time. So it's really about, you know, doing the work. And again, I kind of go back to what I said at the beginning. It's just like about paying attention, you know, pay attention to yourself, pay attention to those you love, pay attention to the people that are, you know, working beside you or for you. Because man, we're, you know, the, just the human experience that we're all going through together. There's so much collective energy there if we just worked to harness it. Yep. I think that's a great way to end. So Tracy, thank you so much for being with us and and for sharing your your knowledge and your story because I think I think it'll be helpful for others. Okay, cool. Thanks for having me, Bobby. I hope that you enjoyed that interview and that you found it both inspiring and rich with practical takeaways. Here are some of my favorites. Number one, when you are facing a battle or a challenge, find your own way through it. Because here's the thing, the ways that have worked for others may or may not resonate for you. Number two, and I love this one, don't should all over other people or yourself. We beat ourselves up with should. You know how it sounds. I should do this. I should do that. I should feel this way. I am on a personal mission that every time I start a sentence with I should, that I stop and I intentionally challenge why I am saying that it is a should. Three, To tap into your innate strengths or talents, you can, of course, take an assessment. And I love assessments. They're great. Also, as Tracy said, you can begin to really pay attention to what gives you energy and what sucks the energy out of you. We can learn so much about ourselves in general when we do this. As part of this, I'll never forget when I was in grad school and Marcus Buckingham came and spoke to our class. And first of all, it was absolutely amazing. It was such an honor and he was just so amazing. And number two, I remember that he said that a strength is not just something that you're good at. It is also something that gives you energy. And he said, if you're good at it and it doesn't give you energy, then it is not a strength. A strength should give you energy not steal it. Number four, also related to Marcus and what he said that day is something that Tracy and I talked about here. And that is that performance is the point when it comes to understanding your strengths and the strengths of those around you. It is how we can be at our best and how we can help others be at their best. Number five, when facing a challenge, reach out to others who have been on your path or who are on your path, and support each other. There's so much comfort in knowing that you are not alone. Number six, there is nothing wrong with you if your job doesn't make you happy. There's no shame in that. And it doesn't mean that anything is necessarily wrong with the company or the job. It simply isn't a fit for you. And most importantly, like Tracy said, there is a way forward. Number seven, top performers are always learning and always looking for adjustments so we can continue to improve and be at our best. Number eight, I loved when Tracy talked about getting in the weeds of what you really have to give and what the world needs. Number nine, we need leaders 
who can and will do the following. One, build trust. Two, show compassion. Three, provide stability. And D, who give us hope. Which makes me think, how can we all strive to be leaders in our lives for those who need us and then provide those things? And here I'd say take a broad view on what leaders and leadership really is, because we're all leaders in some way, whether that's as a parent, a friend, a sibling, a spouse, a teacher, however that might be, but really take a broad view on that. And number 10, don't underestimate the value of humor to help you through a challenge. Again, these were just some of my takeaways. I so loved talking with Tracy, and I'm sure that you have your own takeaways. On another note, in coaching as many people as I have over the years, I've noticed that sometimes we just don't make the progress that we want towards our goals. We have good intentions. We diligently write out our goals. We believe that the goals are important, and yet there's just something holding us back. It's as if we have one foot on the gas and one foot on the brakes. Because I've seen it so often, I'm putting the finishing touches on a guide to help identify if we are falling prey to one of the biggest derailers of our goals, and I call it the just wait voice. This is an insidious little voice that shows up and encourages us to wait just as we are about to act. I truly hate that voice, and I want to help fight it with what I've learned over the years. If you're interested in signing up for it, it's a free guide. You can go to unyielded.net slash goalkiller. Again, this has been the Unyielded podcast where we are committed to bringing stories of growth and triumph. If you have found it helpful, please consider leaving us a review on Apple, as well as sharing it with someone who could benefit from the message of hope and positivity that we are sending. Because at the end of the day, this is all about helping all of us thrive no matter what.